You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. Glad that y'all are here. It's going to be a great, already has been a great day. Hopefully that's going to continue. I'm excited about today's message. Before we jump into it, um, there's some, some, uh, some one or actually some ones that I would like to recognize this morning. Um, because there, uh, there's a very special occasion that's taking place, um, in the house today that is a bit of a rarity these days. And so, um, I would be remiss if we move forward without recognizing them. Um, right over here to my left and your right, uh, Tony and Cindy Jones are celebrating 40 years of marriage. Most of them happy. Most of them. Uh, <laughs> Tony's going, eh. <laughs> um, yeah, 40 years of marriage. So I just want to just commend you. Uh, Tony's one of our elders here and just... Like, what an incredible testimony that is to people like me and Sarah, and then others. Like, that's just an unheard of thing uh, more and more these days. So I want to thank you for your faithfulness to God, your faithfulness to each other. And I just want to honor you this morning. Um, just an incredible testimony uh, and an example of the way that you live your lives and the way that you love and, and um, have stayed committed uh, to your vows to one another all these years. And here's to 40 more. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. If, uh, if you've got your Bible or a smart device, um, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me. We're going to be in two different places this morning. So um, first off, we'll start in that first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Those first four books in the New Testament are, are um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we refer to them as the Gospels because gospel means good news. And those books in particular are good news because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to start off in Matthew uh, chapter 23, and then eventually we'll land a little deeper into um, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 12. So Matthew 23 and then 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll get there in, in just a moment. Um, whenever Sarah and I, whenever we are experiencing or we're expecting company uh, at our house, like maybe we've invited someone over for dinner or something like that, or a, you know, a game night, a hangout, something like that. Um, we, we try to go out of our way to make sure that everything is neat and straight and clean. Like we'll do our part and we send the, we give the kids these tasks and duties and, and things that they have to do. And, uh, we likely will have dusted the furniture, vacuumed the floors. We will have scrubbed the toilets and wiped off all the toothpaste spatter off of the, off of the bathroom mirrors. Um, sometimes we'll even try to light fancy smelling candles or perhaps turn on some ambient music on Spotify playing through the Alexa throughout the house. And the reason that we do this is because ultimately we, we want to we impress people. We want to give off the idea that we've got our junk together and that this is what life is like at the Snap household all 
the time, right? So what we do is, is when we've done all of these things and we've checked all the boxes off of the list and we have everything set up and ready to go, even the throw pillows, you know, they're angled perfectly and we do that karate chop thing right in the top of them. You know, the throw blankets, they're just everything to a T. We invite people, we say, come on in, have a look around and make yourself at home because after all, it's what we do. You know, you give them the smile and the... But occasionally someone will show up to the house unannounced. And I will go to the door and do that thing where, like, you just open it just wide enough for me to kind of slide out. And I stand out on the, on the front stoop to talk to people. And, and it's not because I don't like you. It's because there's some things going on in here that I don't want you to see. Like... That's as far as you're getting. You're, you're not getting past that, that front door area because it, it's a veritable war zone right there. Like, like the, there's, there's, there's pillows everywhere and, and there's, there's like piles of laundry and maybe there's dishes stacked up in the sink and on the counter. And there's the, the, the remnants of, of a dog toy innards like strewn about the living room where Millie has torn something up. And, and uh, there's a good chance that we've been playing trash can Jenga, you know. It's like the thing where like you just keep seeing what you can stack on top. And then the first person, like they put their thing and when it falls off, that's the person that has to walk the 10 feet outside to like take the trash out. You know, we've been doing that stuff. There might even be like that little fuzzy black ring at the meniscus of the toilet bowl water. (laughs) I put that in there just so I could say meniscus. I've always wanted to say meniscus in a sermon. Check that one off the bucket list. There's some stuff going on that we don't want you to, we don't want you to think that we're those kind of people. And as long as you don't see it, then you just have to assume that Alexa's playing Spotify and the candles are lit. And there's karate chop action on the throw pillows. That's what you assume. But as long as you don't see it, then you don't know that it is any other way. There's some stuff that we're trying to hide from you. And we've gotten pretty good over the years at hiding the messy parts of our lives. Sarah and I have gotten great at it. Many of you have gotten great at it. And I'm not just talking about the pile of laundry over in the corner or the dirty dishes in the sink and the counter and the trash can Jenga. We've learned to hide all kinds of our messes. We've learned to hide messes in our marriage. We scream at each other on the way to church and then we come in and man, we just love each other. Woo, celebrating 40 years. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. We have just given our kids down the road, like just, you know, ripped them a new one on the way. And then, man, and we come in and everybody, like, we're all smiles and everything. You know, tra-la-la-la-la, we're skipping, you know. Our finances are a wreck. We hide those from people and, and, and we're swiping that credit card so we can keep up the appearances that everything is good and that, that we can do what we need to do and that we have what we need to have. And maybe it's, Mental or emotional disorders that we're pushing to the back burner. We don't want to let anybody in. We don't want them to see what's really going on inside of us. Maybe it's fears that we have or doubts. Maybe it's addictions 
that we try to hide, we try to tuck away. Maybe it's pain or grief that we've experienced that, that we try to put this smile on and, and, and everything. And, and, and we, we, you know, we wash our face, we calm our hair, and we try to be bright and everything. We try to present our best effort to the world around us. We don't want anyone to know the hurt that is taking place on the inside of our heart. Perhaps it's guilty pleasures. Maybe it's secret sins, the places we go, the things that we do, the stuff that we look at, that right now, if the person sitting next to us knew, we would be devastated. Maybe perhaps most of all, the thing we try to hide more than anything is the level of of. Uh, quality in our relationship with God. We want to be sure that the that the world outside that they think that man like we are we are just as close to Jesus as we've ever been, and we know how to tuck that Bible under our arm, and we know how to raise our hands and sing all the songs and and, and say all the right words and do all of the right things, and 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 we don't want anybody to know that really on the inside we haven't. We haven't prayed in a month, and we've, our Bible has a layer of dust over top of it, and God is super distant out there, at least from our perspective. He's so far away, and we're not close at all. Those are the parts of our lives we want to hide. We typically don't post those things on social media. Like, it would, would ruin the highlight reel. And, when we see an acquaintance out at the grocery store and they say, how's it going? We say, oh, it's going great. Yeah, everything's just so good. It's awesome. Regardless of what the smile on our face says, we are lying through our teeth. And I've discovered that maybe the place that this condition is at its worst is right here in the church. I'm including myself in that boat. Because you and I, we've, we've learned all too well how to look the part and act the part to maintain appearances. All the while keeping people extended at arm's length so they can never get quite close enough to see the real us. And I don't find it coincidental that in the midst of what we have experienced together in this pandemic over the last 14 months, that one of the central discussions and, uh, and, and areas of, of uh, polarity has been the issue of mask wearing. This is not a political statement. This is just an observation. Because it is overtly clear, to me at least, that, that this virus has been utilized by our enemy, the devil, as a tool to bring about confusion, deception, and division, particularly within the body of Christ. And during that time, a lot of us have gotten even more comfortable, or I would say we've even started to accept or embrace wearing masks. But I'm not just talking about the ones that are made out of fabric and that have elastic straps. See, today we're in part series, or part four of a series that we're calling DNA, where we're taking a look at the core values of 
Christ Walk Church. And I believe that it's important for us to talk about these values so that we can be on the same page together in regard to the the kind of culture that we're trying to create and establish for this house and also the expectations that are being put on the people that call Christ Walk Church home. Back in week one, we talked about our core value of Jesus is our message. And, and uh, we, the, the big idea that morning was something that we say here all the time. And it's something that I believe, it's not just some cute, fun, clever little saying. I believe that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. That is the message that you and I have been given to proclaim that this world is not all that there is. There's something so much more. And we've been called to live for something more, to live for something greater. And because of Jesus, we can do that. There's, there's so much more out there that is in store for us. And because of him, because of his work on the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead, the best is still yet to come. In week two, we talked about our core value that people are our mission. We talked about how found people find people. And that, that our mission is to look for people that are far from God but close to us. Those are the people that we've been called to reach, to minister to. That one of the primary ways that we do that is by showing them honor. We talked about that last week. Our third core value is that honor is our calling. God has has called us. He has chosen us. He has set us apart to be people of honor in the midst of a dishonoring world. And we talked about how honored people honor people. And that we do so with our thoughts, with our words, with our actions, up, down, and sideways. And today we're going to talk about core value number four, which is authenticity is our lifestyle. Authenticity is our lifestyle. See, here's why I believe that this is such an important value for us. Normally, I would save this till the end of the message, but it's, it's that big of a deal, so I want to let you know up front. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea of today's message. Here's the, here's the, the, the reason that we're talking about this. It's because I believe that the single greatest threat to people coming to know God and find community within the church is a lack of authenticity. The single greatest threat to people coming to know God and finding community within the church is a lack of authenticity. Because for the longest time, the church, we've been labeled as hypocrites, right? You hear that argument all the time. People outside the faith, people that don't attend church, why would I want to go there? It's just a bunch of hypocrites. And in some cases, maybe in a lot of cases, those people are exactly right. Exactly right. The single greatest threat to people coming to know God and finding community within the church is a lack of authenticity. It's us claiming to be something that we are not and trying to mask up to hide everything else that is the real us that we don't want people to see. And I believe that the world and God is tired of it. And so we need to fix it. 
We need to fix it. And the way that we fix it is by understanding the two greatest enemies of authenticity. The two greatest enemies of authenticity. And so for the next few minutes this morning, that's what I'm going to talk about. The two greatest enemies of authenticity. So if you're taking notes, you probably want to write this down. Number one, the first greatest enemy of authenticity is pride. It's pride. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 23. Perhaps you've turned there with me this morning, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So right there off the bat, what Jesus is saying is he's addressing an issue that is taking place within the church. The Pharisees were the, the religious leaders uh, of the day. They were, they were the church leaders of the day. And so, um, yes, it was a problem then. Guess what? It's still a problem today. And so this is what Jesus is, is highlighting for us. Verse 3, he says, Jesus says, So practice and obey whatever they, the Pharisees, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside called phylacteries. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And verse 6, they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to recite respectful greetings as they walk, or they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. So you'll find here in Matthew 23, we'll continue reading in a moment, but this is, this is a part of scripture where quite possibly some of the, the harshest language um, in all of scripture is used, and it's used coming out of the mouth of Jesus, and it's directed toward the people in the church. I think it's important for us to note that. And so Jesus is talking to the people about the Pharisees, and he's pointing out some issues within the church about them. And and ultimately what he's saying is that the Pharisees, they were about three things. The Pharisees were about perceptions, they were about possessions, and they were about positions. Pharisees were about perceptions, possessions, and positions. So a good, a good way to, to kind of check your heart, maybe a checklist to get a finger on the pulse of how you're living today is, is does this match up with your mindset? Like if nobody has to know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but see if this is you. Are, are you maybe a modern day Pharisee? Are you about perceptions? Are you caught up in other people seeing you the way that you want them to? That that's a major concern of yours. You want to be sure that, that you come across to people the way that you want to. You want to be seen through a certain lens or in a certain light. Perceptions. When it comes to possessions, Talked about the, the large phylacteries and, the, and the, the extra long tassels on the robes of the Pharisees. When it comes to possessions, are, are you the kind of person that is caught up in, in having the things that you feel like you want to have or need to have in order to make you superior to others? You're keeping up with the Smiths and the Joneses and 
everyone else around you and trying to outdo them at every turn. Or maybe it's a position. They wanted to be called rabbi. They wanted to receive these elevated greetings to to show that, that they were above everybody else. They wanted to be sure that they had the best seats, that they were at the head of the table, that they were in places of prominence. So people would look at them and say, oh, that must be somebody important. Are we caught up with being in the places that we want to be or that we need to be in so that other people will see us as important? Are we caught up in our status? the things that give us that elevated status. It's a good way to get our finger on the pulse of whether or not we are living life as a modern Pharisee. And so in the remainder of this passage, Jesus extends a total of eight woes to the Pharisees. He's he's giving them charge for why they ought not to live and think and act this way, and we're going to highlight a few of them, skipping down to verse 23. Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Ultimately, he's saying that if you continue to live this way, you continue to behave this way, you continue to carry on this way, you are headed for a world of hurt. You are going to be sorry for choosing to live this way and deceive others with your lifestyle. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes. Can I get an amen? Amen. But do not neglect the more important things. Verse 24, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel in the process. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, You look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Skipping down to verse 33, Jesus says, you're a bunch of snakes. You're sons of vipers. You are literally the offspring of snakes. How will you escape the judgment of hell? It's pretty strong stuff coming from Jesus directed towards the church. See, for the Pharisees, their qualifications were based on what they had done, not what God had done for them. And it was all based on the way things looked on the outside. It was outward appearances. The the inside didn't match what was going on on the outside. There, There was, Jesus says, there was an appearance of life But upon further inspection, you saw nothing but death. 
There was ultimately the, the issue with the Pharisees is that there was no heart change. It was just lip service. It was just going through the motions. It was, it was just, just doing it to, to appease, to try to appease God and, and, and appease man or impress man. But there was no true change that took place in their heart. It was fake. Here's what I've come to learn about fake. People hate it. And they can spot it from a mile away. You remember that advertisement for Coca-Cola several years back? It said that it was, it was the real thing. Do you guys remember that? Maybe some of the older people in the crowd. It was the real thing. That wasn't a knock because I remember it too. I'm going bald. I got gray hair in my beard. It's all good. I turned 40 this year. Lord help us. It's the real thing. Like, don't offer me a Coke and give me a Sam's Choice Cola. All right? I want the real thing. And so if you offer me a Coke, you better give me a Coke. If you offer me a Sam's Choice Cola, fine. That's what I will expect. But I don't want to be expecting one thing and, and get something else, get some cheap imitation. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness in the house? In the southern, southeastern United States church, I'm talking about Coke. I figure I'd get some amen. Somebody run the aisle a little bit. <laughs> talking about the real thing. See, the issue is, is that some of us, we're portraying an off-brand faith and attempting to pass it off as if it's the real thing. That was good right there. And what's worse is we put that off-brand faith out there and then we wonder why no one outside of the faith wants anything to do with us. Why no one outside of our church wants to come and, and, and be a part of it because we're putting something out there that's fake, it's phony, it's just, it's skin deep and people can see right through it. And if, if that's what your church and that's what your God and that's what your Jesus is all about, then thanks, but no thanks. I'd rather have something that is real. This is an age-old dilemma. Perhaps you've heard a very famous and popular quote from Mahatma Gandhi. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That rings true for us, for the church today. That was, was several years ago. Still rings true for us today. The question is, uh, uh, upon examination of our lives, would, would people find the true Jesus living there or just some knockoff facsimile? If it's the latter, then chances are pride is at play. And here's the problem with pride. Pride diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross by declaring that it simply isn't needed. Pride diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross by declaring that it isn't needed. Pride says, I'm good enough in my own power and in my own ability. So Jesus, thanks, but I got this. And that's a mask that you and I wear that combats authenticity being able to be had in the church and within our relationships at First enemy of authenticity is pride. The second one, some of you are like, oh, that's not me at all. I'm not a prideful person. That's not, no, that's not me. 
Well, if that's not you, then I would say this one probably is. Because the second enemy to authenticity is insecurity. It's insecurity. Pride is over here on this end of the spectrum. Insecurity is over here on this end of the spectrum. In his book, I Declare War, which uh, Chris Moore and I were actually reading this together right now, um, by Levi Lusco. He's a pastor of Fresh Life Church. Um, if you're looking for a good and easy read, a very challenging read, though, I'd highly encourage you to pick this up. Um, but he says this about insecurity. He says, insecurity is a lack of confidence. It comes from uncertainty about your worth, your value, or your place in the world. Insecurity is believing that you aren't enough, pretty enough, rich enough, strong enough, smart enough, and that you don't have what it takes, that you aren't one of the cool kids, that the lies and harsh words people have spoken over your life are true, that you are damaged goods, and if people knew the real you, then they wouldn't accept you. It's feeling out of your league, inadequate and unqualified. And so he goes on in the book to talk about some of the masks that we wear to cover up our insecurities. Things like lashing out at other people or the I'm fine defense. Like, no, really, I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm fine. Or... Perhaps it's ramping up your sex appeal, you know, unbuttoning another button of that shirt so that the chest hair can roam free or hiking up that skirt a little more, you know, something like that. Maybe it's being the, uh, putting on the funny guy veneer. This is me. This is how I battle my insecurities. We're talking about authenticity. Is it okay if I be authentic with you this morning? This is the, the, the self-deprecating jokes that get thrown about. This is how I deal with my insecurities. I just laugh it off and I'll poke fun at myself and get other people laughing with me. Perhaps for some, it's the mask of religiosity. You've been around these people. They are, always, they are the most holy people in the room. Anything that gets talked about, they've got a Bible verse, they heard a sermon, they read a book, they've got some quippy quote to tell you about it, and just they've got a word from the Lord to proclaim over your life on every single thing. And it's like, my Lord, have mercy. Maybe it's mimicry or impersonation. Since you're not happy with your own identity, you're insecure with who God has made you, you attempt to be someone else instead so that others will accept you maybe maybe it's numbing or or self-medicating perhaps it's through drugs and alcohol or maybe it's just netflix are you still watching yes 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 i'm still watching maybe it's overcompensation in certain areas or or what you and i a lot of us would would know as like short man syndrome the places where we don't measure up, we're always trying to do something to, to overcompensate for it and to be sure that everybody sees us and knows us and, and recognizes us and is, and is aware that we're actually better than what we really are. See, insecurity causes us to think that we have to act a certain way because if people knew the real us, then they wouldn't accept us or want us around. And the truth is, is that that kind of attitude, it's blatant dishonesty. And to wear those kinds of masks and to cover up our insecurity, it's, it's being dishonest to people. And it's just as bad as the pride of the Pharisee. 
You can't be justified anymore. See, the problem with with insecurity is that where, where pride declares that the work of the cross isn't needed, insecurity diminishes the work of Jesus on the cross by declaring that it's not enough. See, pride says the work of the cross isn't needed, but insecurity says the work of the cross isn't enough. Donald Miller, he says this, he says, honesty is the soil that intimacy grows in. That, that when we are our real selves and when we, when we put our real selves out there to the world around us, then that gives us an opportunity to grow in, and develop intimate relationships with other people. But yet our tendency is to try to cover up or, or shy away from the pain and the brokenness of our past, the things that we feel like don't add up or measure up or stand up. But it's often in those areas, in our areas of lack, in our areas of brokenness and hurt and pain, those are typically the very thing that allow us, give us the opportunity to minister to other people. Because our brokenness points to the wholeness of Jesus. It points to the wholeness of the cross and the resurrection and the work that was done there. Our brokenness points to his completeness. And see, when we get honest about the messy parts of our lives, when when we take off the mask and we let other people in, ultimately what we're doing is we're giving them handles to cling to. Because they see that all of a sudden, they're not the only ones that are like that. They're not the weirdo. We don't have it all together. They don't have it all together. And all of a sudden, there's a common bond. And we strike up a conversation. And God will allow us to to use those those pieces of our life, the stuff that, that typically it's our tendency to try to hide. God will use that for us to be able to point someone else in his direction. See, when when we get open and honest about who we really are, and we take off the mask and, and we bear our insecurities to the world. What happens is, is that, that Christ will begin to work through them in spite of that brokenness, in spite of the inadequacies, in spite of the gaps and the failures and the letdowns. And, and that begins to make us attractive to the outside world because they say, oh, there's something about that person that is real. That's what this world is looking for. They're looking for something real if everything around them is fake false and can't be trusted what if we chose to be people of authenticity this right here that we're talking about this is the power of life groups it's the reason that if you're not a part of a life group you need to get in one and if there's not one for you then that's the holy spirit telling you that you need to start one so that you can get around other people. And what happens is over time, as you interact with people over the course of time, those walls start coming down. And you begin to get a little bit more comfortable with being a little bit more more vulnerable. And then when ministry really takes place, is when you get to the place and you say, hey guys, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. And you put that out there, Ten times out of ten times in all of my past experiences in circles like that, 
when someone else goes first, when someone else airs their insecurities to the world, there's someone else in the circle that says, I'm so glad you said that. I've been feeling the same way for so long. I had this common experience. I had this same thing happen to me. And what happens is, is honesty drives that authenticity. And then a life group becomes authentic people living authentic lives, doing life together, warts and all. And it makes all the difference. You know what I've discovered about the masks? Like, it's exhausting to try to keep up that charade. I can't believe you let me be the pastor here. I'm an idiot. I said it. You've got it on recording. It's out on the internet forever. I don't know what these people are thinking. There, it's out. I feel so much better. Every time that I think about these things, I come back to the same passage. We talked about it not too long ago. It's one of the coolest passages in all of Scripture, I think. And it's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12. Verses 1 through 10, he says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. And whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Of course, he's speaking of his experience on the road to Damascus where uh, he was blinded for three days and um, uh, his name was changed from Saul to Paul. He was a a Christian persecutor and killer and the Lord transformed his heart and life and used him to establish the early church and write approximately half of the New Testament. uh, Things were radically transformed for Paul. Verse 5, he says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me the credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Here's the good part. Verse 8. Three different times, Paul says, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecution and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Pastor Louis Giglio of Passion City Church recently said this. He said, the enemy wants to define you by your wounds. Jesus wants, you to, wants to define you by his. See, in our weakness, he's made strong. It's, it's flipping the script. It's looking at it through a different lens. 
Our life is not defined by the weaknesses of us, by our wounds, by our suffering. Our life is defined by the, the, the wounds that Jesus suffered on the cross. And so what authenticity is, authenticity is this. It can, be, it can best be summed up, I think, in, in, in this sentence right here. Authenticity is this. I'm a mess, but Jesus. That's it. My marriage is a mess, but Jesus. My family is a mess, but Jesus. My finances are a mess, but, but Jesus. My thought life is a mess. My attitude is a mess. My language is a mess. My fill in the blank, whatever you got is a mess, but Jesus. That's it. That's authenticity right there. There was an old song that we used to sing in kids' church when I was coming up. It's called, He's Still Working On Me. Some of you know it. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Authenticity says I'm a terrible, jacked up, backward mess, but Jesus is still working on me. That's it. We say that we're a church that exists to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. You want to do that? Lay down your pride, push aside insecurity. And choose to be a person of authenticity. Because the greatest single threat to people coming to know God and find community within the church today is a lack of authenticity. This is straight from our playbook. You'll find these words on our website under the core values section. I'm going to sum up today's message with this. Authenticity is our lifestyle. That means that we are not perfect. We will neither try to hide that truth, nor will we use it as a crutch. Instead, we will choose to be real and live as people of integrity. We realize that progress is more important than perfection, and that God will often use our brokenness to minister to the lives of others. We may not be where we want to be, but we're committed to moving beyond where we used to be by keeping our arrow pointed in the direction of Jesus and becoming more like him every day. That's what it means for authenticity to be your lifestyle. And the first step to becoming more like Jesus every day is to enter into a covenant relationship with him, to realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. If that's you here in the house this morning watching online and you're ready to do that. You're ready to step out of the fake life you've been living into real life with Jesus Christ. I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me. Every head bowed in honor and reverence. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. 
I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.